0: Well, good morning, Real Life family. It is good to have everybody together this morning. Thanks for joining us uh, wherever you're at, uh, on a couch or sitting in your kitchen or wherever you're doing church from this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, This morning, we're going to take a look at a couple of kind of curious events from the book of Acts. One comes towards the end of chapter 18. The other one comes towards the beginning of chapter 19. And I think as we look at these stories, these events that happen here, it's going to help us understand just how important a name can be. Now, I have been in a men's group with some really awesome young adult guys for pretty much the most of the last year. And throughout the course of the last year, we've gotten together uh, almost every week or via Zoom every week, and we've been studying through some different books. And some of the books we've been studying are these Rabbi Jesus books that we've got here um, there's three books in this series, and they are awesome, awesome books uh, for those of you that are looking for a little more meat, a little more context uh, for kind of the Jewish historical context of the Bible, the Jewishness of Jesus. These are outstanding resources, and uh, we'll throw a link or talk about them in the description on the video and stuff too. But um, uh, so we've been going through those in my young adult group with my guys, and some of what I'm going to talk to you about this morning in the message is some stuff that we learned as we were going through these books together. And so it's been something I was looking forward to getting to share uh, as a part of the message this morning. So just giving you a little bit of reference on where I learned some of the things that I'm going to share this morning and helping you guys know where you could find them too. So this morning, we're talking about names, right? We're going to talk about names. And I wonder if uh, a lot of you like me have wondered where your name came from, like kind of where, what's your family history? What's your lineage? Like, have you ever tried to trace your family uh, tree back as far as you can? Nowadays, with things like the Ancestry.com and the different cool uh, DNA kits that you can order, you can really get specific about where you came from and kind of what nationality you are. But, um, and there's a lot of different resources to do that. And it's kind of fun because it helps answer some questions that for a lot of us, we don't know, like uh, what kind of what's our lineage, what were our people like, our ancestors, were we maybe royalty, uh, you know, or were we just common peasants, Uh, were we important or wealthy or not important, like it's kind of interesting to just learn about your family tree, Um, and kind of the who carried your family name. Um, Long before all of the Ancestry.com and all of the technology came along, my grandpa spent a lot of time actually documenting things throughout his life, and uh, after the war, he was heavily involved in Boy Scouts of America and got to travel Europe and and uh, got to see a lot of the world. And along the way, he did a lot of work to find out kind of the history of our family name. And so he spent uh, a long time putting together this really cool resource for us in the family and for my grandkids and, and further. It's, a, it's kind of this neat thing that he put together to my children's children and beyond. And it's sort of his... Biography, uh, if you will, it, it sort of tells his story and really tells the story of the people that kind of brought forth our family name. And then what was really neat is I got a lot of stuff from uh, his estate. I found this deal here, which my grandpa found. This uh, uh, did all the research and looked up our our family crest and looked up the research behind what it meant and what the colors meant and where the root of our name came from and. Um, and all this stuff, and this is dated back, uh, he had it certified and and documented back in Berlin in June 12th of 1966, and so to know that my grandpa physically went and did the legwork on the ground in Europe to kind of track down our family lineage was kind of neat stuff, and so I don't know if any of you have ever had a chance to do that stuff, but there's a lot of interest in kind of know, knowing about and learning where your name came from and the significance of names, and the same has been true about Jesus's name for thousands of years. People have been curious about um, jesus's name and and they've used his name in all sorts of ways. It's interesting that some people. Would use Jesus's name as a curse word and then a, a different person would pray in the name of Jesus and then yet a, a different person would baptize people in the name of Jesus and then yet again we hear examples of people exercising or casting demons out in the name of Jesus and so for a long time there has been this fascination or interest or curiosity in the name of Jesus and This phrase, in the name of, is uh, an ancient Hebrew idiom or saying that means something like on behalf of or for the sake of. And this is a term that we really understand actually in English pretty well. It translates forward to English. We understand it in the form of a law enforcement or policeman saying stop in the name of the law, right? So the officer doesn't necessarily have the authority. Uh, but he, has, he carries with him the authority of the law that's behind him. And in the same way, Christians who uh, follow Christ, represent him, they can also speak in the name of Christ, carrying with them the authority of Christ. Christ has authority over all creation, and as a Christian, you can speak in the name of Christ, bringing that authority forward with you. Jesus' Hebrew name was Yeshua, and it literally means God's salvation. Now think about this. An angel came to Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly father, and the angel came to him and told Joseph to name his future son Yeshua, to name him God's salvation, because literally through Jesus, there would come salvation for his people to receive forgiveness of their sins. And And sometimes Jesus's name can become a part of the message. For example, a lot of us are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And so on one day, uh, on a hot day, Jesus was walking down the dusty road from Jericho. And as he came along, the streets were crowded and people were pressing in from all over the place. And this man climbs a tree up in the distance and Jesus sees this up in a tree. And as he approaches and gets closer to him, he recognizes him as Zacchaeus, the the tax collector. And so here is Zacchaeus, this wealthy tax collector. He's up in a tree. He's trying to get a glimpse of this Jesus that's coming through town. And and Jesus pauses at the bottom of his tree there. And he he calls him out and he says, come down from there. uh, Like today, I'm going to come and eat at your house. And, And why is that such a significant thing? There's something interesting going on here. Because Jesus is bringing his name into the story. You see, what happens is when Zacchaeus actually repents and uh, turns from his corruption and his sin, salvation literally comes to his house. Like like Jesus is uh, literally, physically, and metaphorically kind of showing all together how Uh, he, his name, Jesus, uh, God's salvation is coming to the house of of Zacchaeus. And so here's an example of how God's name uh, integrates and comes into Jesus's message and story. It's hard to overstate how important names were in biblical times. In fact, In the beginning, God created everything, and as he called it into existence, he named it, whether it was the earth or the stars or the moon or the heavens or the seas, and as it goes on and it goes on, it was a way of God exhibiting and showing that he was exerting authority over things, because the one who bestows the name has authority over the thing that's named. And then we see in the beginning in creation also that God gives Adam the responsibility, to name all of the animals. And so this is really the first time where Adam gets a chance at uh, exercising authority, kind of practice ruling over creation. And so names are significant. They're a big deal. And in, in ancient times, much like today, a person's name kind of carried with it their identity and their reputation. And oftentimes when God would reorient someone's life or kind of redirect their purpose or calling. He would change their name. Abram, for example, became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. And it was a significant change of names that identified that God was giving them a new direction, a new calling in their life, if you will. And then other times, people would want to change their name because the name that they had no longer really fit. It didn't line up with their life or circumstances. Naomi is a great example of this. Uh, Her name uh, meant pleasant, but after losing her husband and her sons, she wanted to change her name to Mara, which meant bitter, because at that point in her life, it was anything but pleasant. And because names were so significant, it wasn't uncommon for uh, pagans to try and use the names of their pagan gods to use them in like spells and incantations or to to cast out things in the name of, right? But throughout the Bible, God refused to respond uh, when these divine names of these pagan gods were kind of used Harry Potter style, like some magic spells. And in the end of Acts 18, we meet a guy named Apollos, and Apollos, Luke says, was an excellent teacher uh, of God's Word. He was very well uh, educated, and he knew God's Word very well, and it said it Luke talked about him, and he said that when he preached and, and taught, that he did it with enthusiasm and accuracy, and so here's this guy, Apollos, who is a gifted teacher, and At some point, uh, we become aware that really all he knew about was the baptism of John. He had not yet learned about precisely that Jesus had come and that there was a baptism in Jesus' name. And so at some point, a couple of friends of Paul's come along, Priscilla and Aquila. They witness Apollos teaching, and they recognize that he is a gifted teacher and understands the scriptures well, but he's missing the rest of the story. And so they pull him aside, and they talk with Apollos about um, the rest of the story that he was missing, they help him understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that he has known about was to come, and that in the name of Jesus, you can be baptized and receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they, they kind of round out the rest of the gospel message for Apollos. And it says that they, I think, really just were um, extremely supportive of him, because they rallied support Apollos wanted to leave Ephesus and travel across the sea to Achaia, and and, uh, Priscilla and Aquila send him off with their full support. And so, Apollos is gone, and sometime later, Paul makes his way back to Ephesus, and as Paul comes into Ephesus, he encounters some believers. And it's interesting, because one of the first things Paul asked them was if they had Received the Holy Spirit when they were be, uh, baptized, when they believed. And they looked at him and said, No, we haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit. Which leads to Paul's follow up question Well, then whose baptism did you receive? Or, in other words, in whose name were you baptized? And so they go on to explain that they knew about the baptism of John. Well, Paul takes a great interest in this and pulls them aside and spends time teaching them and helps them understand that John's baptism was all about repentance or turning away from your sin but even John told his disciples to look for the one that was to come after him that was going to be greater than him that baptized for the forgiveness of sins and that one that was to come was Jesus and so these these disciples that Paul encountered and taught when they heard this immediately they were baptized in the name of Jesus and Paul laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So, for these early believers, knowing about being baptized in the name of Jesus really meant the difference between receiving the Holy Spirit or not receiving the Holy Spirit. And Luke goes on in Acts 19 and he writes about some really amazing things that God was doing through Paul. And in addition to these amazing things that were going on with Paul, there were also some interesting characters that we meet in this next chunk of Acts. There are some guys who were really trying to kind of jump in on the excitement and fervor that surrounded what God was doing with Paul. And so I want to jump into the text and let's look at Acts 19, picking up in verse 11. And we're going to jump in here and read through it together. It goes like this. Uh, Verse 11, starting off, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. And some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed, and they would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, seven sons of Sceva, these seven boys that were sons of this Jewish chief priest, were doing this, and one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Seven guys, one guy on seven, that was pretty serious. Well, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to about 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, undoubtedly, these men were calling on the name of the, the right Jesus, the real Jesus, and they probably used the perfect Hebrew inflection when they even pronounced or spoke his name. The problem was they weren't Jesus' disciples. They didn't have um, permission or uh, they hadn't uh, received the authority to speak on Jesus' behalf or issue commands in his name. But some amazing things did come as a result of these events. First of all, many of the people who were practicing witchcraft and sorcery came and repented and turned away from their evil ways, burned their scrolls, burned their stuff, and and acknowledged that, that there was power in the name of Jesus that was greater than anything that they had put their trust and hope in up to that point. And then beyond these things, something else happened. God's reputation was growing. Now, you may not think that uh, God's reputation is something that's really important to him. Like, is that something he's even concerned with or cares about? But it is. It's a big deal. In fact, it's a, a central part of God's story throughout the Bible. He intended for his reputation, for people to know about the kind of God he is and how he treats his people and what he cares about, for people to learn that and know that and to, to find out and discover God's reputation through knowing his chosen people, the Israelites. And so God started with the Israelites, and, and He, in the beginning with them, taught them how to live, how to love one another, how to love Him and worship Him uh, among all these other pagan gods that were out there, and Him and Him alone. And, and then through the Israelites, His intention was that they would be a, a city on a hill, a light that couldn't be hidden, that they would be uh, living examples to model and show God's reputation and who he was. And with the coming of Jesus, God made his identity and agenda even more clear. You see, he revealed his heart for sinners. He showed his long-suffering love and his sacrificial love. And then he sent out his disciples to go and actually make disciples of all nations. And and his vision, God's vision, was for his uh, reputation to expand throughout the whole earth as people would come to know him as the one true God and accept Christ as their Savior. And, And God's desire is the same for us today, to understand that for those of us who know and follow Jesus, you see, we're called to be his representatives, his ambassadors, his examples to a lost and hurting world all around us. And how we Christians go about doing this tends to put us in one of two camps, it seems like, oftentimes. And, and you see, some will emphasize that the way we do this is through our our Christian witness, is through um, sharing the gospel with words and and using words to evangelize the world. And then yet, Others feel like the best way to share your Christian witness or testimony is through kind of social action and actually doing things, and then maybe things like building houses for homeless, or maybe building bunk beds for kids in need, or feeding people, or providing for people's physical needs. And And it seems like as people try to figure out how to represent Christ and carry out his authority to make disciples in this world, that that they sort of land in one of these two camps that it's about kind of teaching, or it's about doing kind of activism, and it feels a lot of the times like people just sort of decide that they have to land in one of those camps, and and the plan that God had in mind when He commissioned the disciples to go and make disciples, and the same plan that he had in mind when he sent us out and called us to be disciples and to go be disciple makers. It's the same then as it is now, and it involves both of these things working in harmony. You see, sharing the gospel without caring for people's needs can ring hollow. And at the same time, Uh, doing good deeds and and social uh, activities and meeting people's physical needs, but never talking about the fact that you're serving Christ also doesn't sanctify God's name. And so there's this marriage of both of these things that is so important. It's not just truth. It's not just uh, meeting people's needs, love and compassion. It's both. And when Jesus sent his disciples out, to represent Him, to, to act with the authority of His name, and 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 to, to go out and carry out the commission to make disciples. He told them to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom, just like He did. So this week, let's ask ourselves, do we understand what it means to live out our lives, like representing Jesus, carrying out uh, Jesus's authority with us as we go and make disciples? Are we wrestling with this tension of, is it about evangelizing people with word and, and, and teaching and uh, the scriptures? Or is it about uh, meeting needs in our community and, and blessing and serving and loving and coming alongside people? And have we landed strongly in one of those camps and we can't ever look at the other camp? Or are we wrestling to figure out how to have a life that embraces both of those things. I think if we could sum this up here at the end and just remember what James talked about, James had these great words that were just a real black and white approach to this. He, he simply stated it like this, you know, when it comes to this tension of which camp do you land in and how do you live out carrying out the authority of Jesus in this world to make disciples? James said, you show somebody, you show me somebody that's got faith, but no deeds, and I'll show you somebody that's got dead faith, like it's not working. He says, you show me somebody that's got good deeds, but no faith, and I'll show you somebody that that has not got it wired, right. like something's missing, it's not working. And so there's this tension of learning to live uh, out, walking out both of these parts of our faith when it comes to walking out the authority of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to finish up with a time of communion together. And so We do this every week as a church at Real Life. We take communion together. So if you haven't had a chance to go and get your elements for communion, now is a great time to go do that. I'm going to grab mine, and then we're going to take communion together as a family. Every week we do take communion together as a family at Real Life, and it's important to remind everyone that you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. If you wanna celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, no matter where you're at as you're watching this, please uh, take communion with us as a family. And so we remember this morning that we have a God who is for us and that he commissioned the disciples to go out, and as he commissioned them to go out, he gave them authority to go and make disciples, baptizing in his name and teaching what he taught them, like carrying on the tradition of healing and helping and coming alongside and physically caring about needs and also proclaiming the kingdom, teaching the good news, uh, showing people the truth in the scriptures. And he commissioned them and gave them that authority and the same is true for us today. We have that opportunity to represent Jesus to to go out and to make disciples knowing that the authority of Christ comes with us. And that's a pretty exciting and pretty awesome thing. I think if if we could think of some famous person that said, "Hey, we'll allow you to represent our company. You get to be the face of the company and and anything you say as long as it lines up with our core values and what we believe, we'll back you 100%. We would probably get pretty excited about that. It'd be like, wow, who would trust me to represent their huge multi-million dollar organization? And yet, here we have Jesus saying that he trusts us to represent him, to carry out his commission to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in his name so that they can receive his spirit. And so those are the things that we reflect and remember on. All of that was accomplished through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so as we take communion together, we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, as often as they get together, let's do this in remembrance of him. So let's eat the bread. And in the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he told him that this cup represented a a new covenant which was his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and so as as we drink the cup let's remember the forgiveness of our sins that's available through the shed blood of Christ well bow with me as we pray God we love you and we are just so grateful for you and for your word and we're so grateful for Jesus God, the authority and power that comes um, in the name of Jesus and the fact that you um, allow us to represent you, that you allow us to speak with the authority of your son is just humbling and incredibly uh, just exciting and awesome at the same time. So thank you for your son. Thanks for trusting us to represent you. I hope we do it well. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great week. Don't forget to jump on Jesus Time, 8 a.m., Monday through Friday. Make sure that you don't miss your home groups for the next few weeks as we're really trying to stay connected on the home stretch here of the COVID-19 excitement. So see you next Sunday.